Thanks for joining us again. A couple of years ago, we planted some fruit trees around the house and uh, this, this summer I was inspecting them and really admiring their growth since we planted them. And I noticed two things. Firstly, it was a little bit too early for fruit. And secondly, I had no idea what kind of tree it was. When we planted it, I, I recall saying to myself, I will always remember this is, this is where we put the apple tree or the pear tree or whatever it might be. And, and now about a year later, I could not remember. We're, we're just gonna have to wait until it produces fruit and then we'll know what kind of tree it is. When Jesus said that phrase, you will know a tree by its fruit many years ago. I wonder if it's, if it's the very thing that the apostle John latched onto as key for the church to hear in, in his letter, 1 John. In fact, you could say, great little summary of, of 1 John would be, you'll know a tree by its fruit, and the primary fruit is love. And, and that's where we're going today in our passage. The context, of course, is following on from Tom's message last week. But we're going to delve a little bit more into to chapter 3 here and look at um, the new nature that, that God has given us. And that's actually the very first thing that John brings to our attention, and that is that Jesus has given us a new nature. Let's read together in 1 John chapter 3, uh, just a couple of verses, verses 4, 5, and 6. And if you've got your Bibles, follow along, won't you? 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Well, this is, this is John recording for us the fact that Jesus has given us this new nature and, and he has dealt with the problem of sin. In fact, in, in verse 4, that's the, that's the very first thing he raises is that the reason we need a new nature is that the old nature is broken and it's broken because of this problem of sin. And sin is breaking the law. Now, the law was given to us to reflect the holiness of God. And the truth is that nobody has ever lived up to the glory of God. We've never reflected his holiness as we, as we should. And, and the, fact that, the fact that we haven't, well, that's, that's sin and that's a problem. But in verse 5, John reassures us, and this is the, the, the crux of this gospel of grace, this wonderful message that we first received. John reassures us that Jesus has dealt with our sins, but you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. That, that word for take away, it literally means that Jesus has, has lifted up he has taken it on himself and he has, he has removed it from us, the burden of sin. He's taken all of our sins. He's, he's lifted them up off us, that burden of sin. He has taken that onto himself and he did that on the cross and he has removed it. He has taken it away as far as the east is from the west. And if you try and measure that, it will, it will take you a very long time. It's, it's, he's thoroughly removed it. Now, you might say... Um, oh yeah, but, but, but sometimes my, my past sins, they, they, they come back and they haunt me and, and I feel disappointed about myself and so forth. 
Well, did you know that once, once Jesus removes your sin, lifts it up, takes it on himself on the cross, and, and removes it, takes it from you as far as the east is from the west, it's irretrievable. You can't bring that back. It's forgiven. And the reason we can't reverse that is that that is God's posture towards us, and it cannot be reversed. He has completely removed all of your sins and all of my sins. That's, that is good news. But then secondly, he not only deals with our sins, but he deals with our, our sin nature. And we see this in verse 6. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. So Jesus firstly deals with our sins, but then he deals with our sin nature as well. Um, where it says um, lives in him, that's the word abide again, abide, remain. So no one who abides in him, remains in him, lives in him, keeps on sinning. Well, why not? Well, because, because Jesus uh, is, is not bound by the, by the pull of sin. He, his nature, his holy nature is such that sin has no pull on him whatsoever. And when we live in him, that is our experience as well. Years ago, uh, Rob Wickstead from our church um, met uh, the 10th man to walk on the moon. His name was Charlie Duke. And Rob was given at the time a signed copy of his, of his book. He's a Christian. And he, um, in his book, um, he, before he became a Christian, said um, the experience of walking on the, on the moon it was so incredible that I, I, if I lived another 10,000 years, I could never beat it. And yet, actually, within a few years, he did beat that experience. He came to know Jesus Christ as his personal saviour. And and he testifies in the book that walking on the moon was great, but walking with Jesus is, is, is amazing, and, and nothing can surpass that. Um, but the book is filled with his excursion to the, to the moon, and it's filled with all sorts of fascinating details. For instance, um, as I was reading, I was, I was stunned to, to read about the speed at which they travelled. Now, the moon is... 240,000 miles from Earth. So, so well, that's a, that's a long way to go. And um, I guess I've always been a bit curious when the, uh, the, the space capsule or space module is, is actually flying in space between out of the Earth's orbit before it reaches the orbit of the, of the moon. In between, how fast does it travel? And uh, just in passing, um, Charlie mentions in the book that, that as they were hurtling towards the moon, they were doing so at, would you believe, 2,800 miles per hour. Um, that's around 4,500 kilometers an hour. Isn't that incredible? Now you might wonder, what does it feel like to be traveling at, at that kind of a pace? And Charlie said this, which uh, surprised me, but perhaps shouldn't have. It felt like nothing at all because there's no gravity. They're in zero gravity. And so there is no resistance on the, on the, the space module as it, is, as it is flying. He said, apart from a little bit of a, a, bit of a hum around them, um, to be quite honest, the, there was no real sense of movement. There was, there was really, really nothing. It was incredibly, incredibly smooth and quiet. Now, there were a lot of astronauts back, back at NASA. Um, they were astronauts. But, but they were still feeling the pull of gravity. 
Why? Because they weren't in the space capsule. The only way to not feel the pull of gravity, to experience zero gravity, was to be in the space capsule. Because, because in the space capsule, there was no pull of gravity. In Christ, there is no pull of sin. That's our new nature. Uh, when we are in Jesus Christ, the pull of sin no longer has an impact on us. Now, you might say, well, that just doesn't seem to be my experience. I, I feel the temptation of, of sin all of the time. Um, now, that might be true. And, and in fact, the, the temptation to sin, the reality of sin, uh, John says in chapter 1 that, that, that that's a very real experience and part of the Christian life. If you say you've never sinned, you make God out to be a liar. Um, however, here, John is talking about our new nature, about the fact that, that fundamentally sin no longer reigns over us. It doesn't, it, it cannot pull on us like it used to. You see, sin has no reign and no power over Jesus Christ. And when we are in Jesus Christ, that is our experience as well. We may be tempted. We may be deceived. We may be lied to from the devil, and we, we may choose to sin. But the reality is, it has no pull on us anymore. When we're in Christ, the pull of sin is, is zero. And so John is talking to us about this wonderful new nature. Jesus has dealt with our sins, and he's dealt with our, our sin nature, the problem of sin. And so now he, he goes on, and he, he says, says this. He says, your true nature... Your true nature. Remember, he's trying to trying to help the the Christians here to uh, be able to uh, see that there are imposters, those who are just impersonating the Christian life. He's helping them to to be able to see that that's the case. They're bringing false teaching into the church, and they're not to be trusted. And he says, in that context, our true nature will always surface. Look here in in verses verses seven and and eight. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. And the one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. In other words, in verse 7 and 8, if you see righteous fruit, well, that will be coming from a person who is righteous. Uh, just like Jesus. If you see a person uh, who is consistently, without repentance, consistently sinning, then that person is sinful, just, just like the devil. Uh, you see, our nature, our true nature, will always surface. But this is, this is being able to, to uh, judge what a tree is by the fruit that you, that you see. In fact, in verse, verse 10, um, John says, this is how we know who the children of God are, because our true nature will always serve us. A couple of weeks ago, we were recording um, here at Nyora Road, and there was a little bit of noise outside. I popped out the back to, uh, to just see who was there, and there was this, this family, kids on their bikes, just enjoying riding around the basketball court there, the Asheville basketball court. I got chatting with the mum, and she said what a godsend this place has been to them during this lockdown season. And, and just as we were saying our farewells, she turned around and she said, have you noticed the mushrooms? 
nice. And I looked around and said, no, I haven't noticed the mushrooms. And she pointed to the, to the middle of the basketball court and she said, look, they're bursting through the ash fell. And sure enough, I went over and I had a close look and, and, and these mushrooms were bursting through the, the ash felt, the bitumen, uh, uh, a, little bit, a little bit like an unwanted pimple and, and the whole bitumen had cracked open and there were these, these mushrooms there. Talk about the power of fungi. It was, it was quite amazing. And, uh, um, and John is essentially saying the same thing. You know, you can cover up your, your true nature for a time with, you know, good behavior. You can act like a Christian. You can, you can think you've got that thing, you know, sealed and, and so forth. But ultimately, your true nature will, will show. It will, it will push through. You might, might feel like, oh, well, Miss Judy, if what you're saying is true, I know there's some bad stuff in my life. Does that mean that I'm a bad person? My, my nature is bad. Um, well, remember again, John has already told us it's possible for Christians to sin. What he's talking about here is, is that con continuance to sin, that unrepentant trajectory of, of sinning and, and having no conscience, uh, of having no desire to change that behaviour at all. That's evidence of what your true nature is, um, John is saying. In fact, you could, you could well reverse that and you could actually say, um, has your conscience been being pricked by sin? Has you know? Have you are you concerned that, that that sometimes you don't please God? And is there good fruit in your life? All of those things they don't come from you; they actually come from God. And and it's the kind of fruit that evidences that you are in fact a child of God. That that is your new nature. And that's that's John's whole point here. This isn't a passage to be to discourage you. This is a passage to encourage you. And, and here's, here's where verse 9 is such an encouragement to you and, and to me. Uh, John says, no one who is born of God will continue to sin. Notice, continue to sin. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is a wonderful verse to assure us of the genuineness of our faith, that we, we are, in fact, children of God. Now, Scripture talks many times about being grafted into God, being adopted by God. But this verse is, is pretty amazing. It tells us that we are not only born of God, but that we have the very seed, the very DNA of God. And the Greek word there for seed is sperma. This is a wonderful reassurance that we are indeed legitimate children of God. We're not illegitimate. We are the legitimate children of God, born of God. And we actually have his nature. You see, our true nature will always surface. Uh, the desire in you to do good, the, the good fruit that is produced in your life, again, that's not you. That's God. And that's evidence of God's nature within you. Um, uh, both of my parents had had blue eyes. Uh, genetically, it's impossible for me to have brown eyes. I might um, I might like to to wear brown sunglasses. In actual actually, fact, I, I do I, I do I like brown sunglasses because they 
they give a nice a nice warm tint to everything. I kind of think, why take a perfect day and make it cold and bleak by wearing grey sunglasses? So I like brown sunglasses. Nonetheless, if I'm wearing my brown sunglasses, you might look at me and say, ah, I bet you his eyes are brown. Um, I might look through those sunglasses and perceive the world to, to have a brown tint to it. But neither of those, those facts, the way people perceive me or the way that I perceive perceive the things around me, neither of those things change the fundamental fact, I have blue eyes. <laughs> I, can, I can choose to put those brown sunglasses on, but I have blue eyes, I just do. And, and John is basically saying here, you have God's DNA, you have God's nature. Others may not perceive it, you may not perceive it, but that doesn't change a thing, it really doesn't. You are born of God, you have his nature. That's a wonderful, wonderful reassurance. Now you might say, hey Stuart, I, I really want to believe this. I really do. Where can I start? Let me, let me suggest that you, you start by using Jesus as your mirror. Uh, Tom mentioned this verse last week. I'm just going to skip back to it for a moment because it's a wonderful summary of what we're saying here. In chapter 3, verse, verse 2, in the context of, of the, the lavish love the Father has, has um, um, shown us by calling us his children, in that context, John says, you see, dear friends, now we are children of God. What we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he really is. In other words, when we see Jesus, we see us. I'm encouraging you to use Jesus as your mirror. When we see Jesus perfect, we will be perfect. Oh, what a, what a, as Tom was saying last week, what an incredible day that is going to be. When we see Jesus perfectly, we will finally be perfect. In the meantime, Use Jesus as your mirror. We usually use a mirror, don't we, just to, to check our appearance and so forth. We'll do that. Use Jesus as your mirror and use Jesus to kind of check your appearance. Okay, that's, that's how I want it. Um, in John 17, 22, John records this incredible statement as part of uh, Christ's high priestly prayer. He says, I have given them the glory, praying to the Father, I have given them the glory that you gave me. In other words, Jesus has given us, you and I, his glory. Now think about that for a moment. Think about everything that you love about God. Think about everything that, that you, you think is praiseworthy about Jesus. His love and his goodness, his joy and his compassion and his mercy and his justice and and so on and so on and so on. Think about everything that as you read through the Gospels just makes, makes you just fall in love with Jesus and, and makes him so appealing, like, I want, to, I want to be like him. All of those characteristics, the very character of Jesus, that's his glory. And he has given that glory to you and to me, which means we look at ourselves and we look at each other totally differently than how we might have done in the past. That's the basis for our loving, loving one another. Jesus has given to us 
the glory that the Father gave to him. So everything that you love about Jesus is what the Father loves about you. That's your new nature. And it will be